Hey there, horror movie fans. Welcome back to Here's the Mimi Horror Movie Podcast. Now, today is the first day of my favorite month. It is October 1st, and I wanted to start out with just a little bit of horror. Now, about a month ago, I did an interview with Devin Wagner, and both of us kind of talked about the Fear Street trilogy. Due to some malfunction in that recording, I decided to do a separate one, but that features both of our opinions and ideas of this trilogy. So today's review is both me and Devin's thoughts. Now, the Fear Street trilogy was created by Lee Janik, and we love a woman in horror. And you see, throughout this entire trilogy, we are pretty conscious as horror fans of the classic horror ideas and images in a very contemporary mode. It starts from the 90s references of Scream to the 80s slasher Friday the 13th homage, ending with the dual roles in 1666 to acknowledge ancestry and origin. For once in a very long time, Netflix original did something right for the horror genre. With these films being released for three consecutive weeks with a strategic move on building and sustaining hype. This is inspired by the book series by R.L. Stein, and of course we have to start with Fear Street, 1994. After a series of brutal slayings, a teen and her friends take on an evil force that's plagued their notorious town for centuries. And I absolutely love the trilogy, but 1994 was my least favorite of the three for specific reasons. Although setting a more nostalgic tone, especially with the soundtrack, the acting came off as subpar. And I think that weighs heavily on the main character, Dina, played by Kiana Madeira. And most of the climatic and meaningful moments hit home the last half hour of the film. The killer in 1994 for me was the weakest in comparison of the rest of the trilogy, but that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. I still believe my favorite death and most unexpected was Kate's slicer death, hands down. And this was an introduction to important characters like C. Berman, the only Shadyside survivor of 1978 Camp Massacre, and Sheriff Nick Good. And we are introduced to initial information, though misleading on purpose. Now, my initial impression of the film could have gone either way, assuming from the initial kill that it was going to be a slasher or supernatural film, but due, you know, to the mall killings and the Shadyside versus Sunnyvale uh, dynamic. Moving on to our favorite film of the trilogy is 1978. A summer of fun turns into a gruesome fight for survival as a killer terrorizes Camp Nightwing in the cursed town of Shadyside. Now, first of all, I just wanted to make it clear that I was rooting for Ziggy and Nick, but you guys had me fooled, so I'll give you guys that. The hilarious nature of Nick Good in 1978 portrayed as your like typical privileged teenager with like a conscience, especially when he begins to open up to Ziggy about like his family's plans for him and his duties for being good which I find very ironic. <laughs> and at first seems like every teenager's struggle, you know, us having different dreams that, you know, we wish for our future than our families might have for us, which I can completely relate to. Except his takes a very cynical twist and turn, but not before we reflect on Nick Good, Camp Hero, for his sacrifice. Yeah, sacrifice all right. Then we have the small yet significant role of Nurse Lane with her presence of the book, the warning, and the backstory of her daughter who became possessed, Ruby Lane, who is a stellar character add-on, by the way, who I really do hope to see a spinoff of. Now, 1978 does have the best characters, I believe, and I adore acting by Sadie Singh and her portrayal as Ziggy. Ziggy portrays the same attitude as Dina in 1994, with a more pessimistic but seemingly realistic approach to Shadyside fate among its citizens, and learning to accept it even though it's no way to want to live, leaving Cindy and Sam as like the naive hopefuls. Now, Nick Good's character just fuels trust issues, and Cindy's realization and growth to acceptance and courage unraveled in this film slowly but effectively. 
especially with the reoccurrence of her noticing her cursing and side characters kind of moving that story and narrative along. Now obviously this is a campy horror that pays tribute to the 80s theme, so sex scenes were bound to emerge, and though I find them really unnecessary in film, I understood it here more than the first film, which was just straight up filler. Now much respect to the Stephen King reference since he was a newbie to horror at the time, so just wanted to put that note in there as well. And ending with my final note of this film, and I mean the most powerful ending was just, it was, it was just immaculate. I mean, starting with that plot twist of the C. Berman name mix-up, since Cindy wasn't the actual survivor like the film lays her out to be, which I should have known it was way too easy, but I really just did not see it coming. And Ziggy is just a nickname to Christina Berman, the actual survivor of the 1978 Camp Massacre. I know, mind blown. Ending with the emotionally twisted moment when the Berman sisters are lying in their sorrow and making amends to their relationship as they die brutally in a slow fashion. Although Ziggy tried to sacrifice herself to save her sister, she failed. And that brutal reality in some cases hits harder, realizing the true hero doesn't always win, especially when fate isn't easily broken. And the gore. We love good gore. We finish off the trilogy with 1666, which from the title alone you can already guess devil shenanigans and witchcraft. And I really do appreciate the diversity of the subgenres in this trilogy. In my opinion, they are able to mesh. In 1666, it's a colonial town is gripped by a witch hunt that has deadly consequences for centuries to come, while teenagers in 1994 try to put an end to their town's curse before it is too late. 1666 does take a more modern approach to the Pilgrim era and is considered the shortest era we spend the least amount of time in. Pacing was fairly quick, but hits its main objective and purpose, leaving behind a very dreary setting that expands over lifetimes. Ashley Zuckerberg, who plays Sheriff Nick Good, is back too, but this time he is as early as Good Family Ancestry, his name is Solomon. And he is struggling to make a name for himself, besides being the farmer outside of his little settlement. And the Goods, it seems, have a legacy of sons, and they just try to prove that they are different, and eventually, you know, try to take advantage of a gift. And by gift, I mean like an enhanced status. But that involves a human sacrifice in return and on the people of what we now know as Shadyside. And it's not a revelation to learn that Sarah, like all accused witches, targeted out of resentment and because she was different rather than her actually being a witch at the time. And now we are able to learn the false nature of the popular saying, Sarah Fear made me do it. Now, Sarah Fear does make a cameo towards the end of 1666's actual montage, which was refreshing, played by Elizabeth Scopel. And she wanted revenge, but not on the people, but the haunting thoughts of the good until the curse would one day be broken. It's true when they say winners write history. And the curse is nothing more than just a curse, though others can argue it's fueled by oppressed sexuality and or growing modernization, which makes sense. Ending full circle back at the mall, bringing in all the monsters together we have met and haven't in this ultimate showdown spectacular featuring Nick Good, our true villain on one side, finally confronted with his family's destruction and even his own. A reminder when he sees adult Ziggy. And the second most memorable death scene was in this film, with our first victim, the possessed preacher, eye gouging those children in the church hall and the parents finding the aftermath. I mean, it is just brutal. The film ends with one of the most underrated and iconic moments. We are given the identity of Josh's chatroom friend from the first film, Queen of Air and Darkness. Now I didn't know if this was C. Berman or an important figure we'd be introduced to later or it was just an add-on or just something to fill the story, but no, it was just this petite blonde white girl who pops in last minute and comments on how to properly sell their stolen goods. I mean, it's straight comical. 
And my final note of this trilogy, first off, my salute to Josh for losing the girl he wanted to help his sister save the girl she loved, like, damn. And Ziggy feeling betrayed by the one person who she thought made her feel safe, like, damn. I mean, this trilogy took me for a ride, but I thoroughly enjoyed it, both me and Devin, and would totally watch it again and would recommend it to anyone. I see more films in the future from this franchise, or at least in its universe. So, tell me your thoughts, and until next time, ciao now.